WTF1 presents Hot Takes Wednesday. Hello and welcome back to another edition of Hot Takes Wednesday. I'm your friendly neighborhood host, Dre Harrison. And welcome to the show with your hot takes and our even hotter opinions. And joining me in the chair for the second week in a row, we can't get rid of her. She's now paying rent on the furniture. It's <laughs> Hannah Atkinson. Hello, Hannah. How Hello. You doing? I know two weeks in a row. Who would have thought it? No, but I'm happy to be here. Um, it feels like a, a bit of a, a lull week because we're in between races. There's no race coming up this weekend. So, you know, perfect time for Hot Takes Wednesday. Perfect time for a couple of episodes of Hot Takes Wednesday because we've got another one coming next week as yes. ever. And also I'm going to let the uh, WTF1 audience in the little secret. Happy birthday for yesterday, Hannah. <laughs> I wasn't <laughs> expecting that. Thank you. Thank yes, you very much. You are the startling, dizzying age of 23 now, I want to say. Yes, I am. Correct. <laughs> Born in 2000. Can't stand it. It's terrible. It's a great man. year. <laughs> it's a terrible year. As a, as a man born in 92, I can't stand it. Um, oh, okay, fair but, enough. Fair enough. But, <laughs> but, but uh, no, happy birthday, my darling. Thank and you. Uh, let's have a good one as a result so for those who don't know because as i always say every podcast is someone's first welcome to hot takes wednesday on this show you the fine wtf1 audience can send in your tweets and emails i need to point this out because i've i've not mentioned this enough on the show people are actually emailing us in hot takes for hot takes wednesday i love this please feel free to keep sending them in we i promise we will use them uh more often on weeks i wasn't i was a bit surprised and taken aback that people were emailing us takes rather than rather than using twitter so thank you for that i promise you we will get get through them and use them when we can so feel free to send them in then when you do send them in well we the panel on the show here will discuss them and we'll score them on a scale of one to five one being that we strongly disagree and five being that we strongly agree with it if we both agree on a one or a five take we will put it in our special sub-zero vault at the end of the year for a christmas special of the hottest and coldest takes of 2023 Looking forward to that one as ever at the end of the season after Red Bull wins another 15 Grand Prix or something like that. So without further ado, Hannah, are you ready for another edition of Hot Takes Wednesday? Of course I am. Let's do this. Take number one is from Amber's version. Um, is that a Taylor Swift reference? I know she's going on tour very, very soon. And <laughs> yes. I think people have been very, very excited about that. Like, not the biggest Swifty, not going to lie. But um, I do love the fact that people have dedicated their Twitter accounts to it. So Amber's version says, Esteban over Pierre as of right now. Straight up fight between the Alpine teammates, the veteran and the new boy. Esteban over Pierre as of right now. Hannah, what do you make of that one? It's interesting. I mean, if you look at the beginning of the season, Gasly was beating Ocon in, in each race. But actually, mm. as the season's gone on, Ocon has come out on top for the last few races. And of course, he had that podium in Monaco, which I'm sure lifted his spirits a little bit, as it would. Absolutely. Um, Ocon and Gasly are so similar, and I know everyone says that a lot, but it is so true. I mean, based on stats alone, um, but also this season, if you look at the results, apart from, you know, the odd one or two, Ocon and Gasly are always next to each other. And I guess that makes sense because you're teammates, you're in the same car, but unless you're in the top three teams, I feel like that doesn't actually happen that often. And um, obviously they both had similar DNFs in Australia. Never going to stop mentioning that, I don't nope. think. Um, but going back to this hot take, you know, 
Esteban over Pierre, it does seem like Esteban is on form right now. It does seem like that. And and so at the moment, I do agree. But at the same time, I feel like that could change five more times this season <laughs> and, and just switch. So I do agree right now, Esteban on over Pierre. But like I said, I think that could easily change. What do you think? I think... At their respective bests, I think they're very evenly matched. Like yeah. it for me, like Gasly, who I think I'm gonna talk about a little bit more because Esteban's kind of a known quantity in RP and he traded seasons with Fernando Alonso. Look, Ocon is a very, very underappreciated driver, generally. There's my opinion on that. I think he might be the most underrated driver in F1 these days. I think Given that that's a hot are... take in itself. Could be, could be. <laughs> S- sending your tweets, Dre underscore WTF1. Tell me how <laughs> wrong I am. But I, I genuinely think Ocon is Ocon is like ri- ridiculously underrated as a driver, and I think he's been a, a staple guy at Alpine for a long time. He's done very well with limited equipment, and he was going back and forth with Fernando Alonso over over the two seasons they were teammates. And you look at Alonso right now, who's absolutely flying with six podiums in eight races. Alonso is still as good as he has ever been, even at 41 years of age. So Ocon, I think, is I think Ocon is right there with him. Um, Gasly's season's been interesting because I think he's adapted to a new team, his first one outside of the Red Bull umbrella, very well. I think he's, his results are actually a little bit frustrating because you look at Australia, he was running P5 for the majority of that race until that final restart, which put them both out of the Grand Prix. I, I think Gasly has an upside to him that is as good, if not maybe even better than Ocon's. And it's a little bit frustrating because it does show up in the scoreboard. Like Ocon, Ocon's got 29 points this year. Gasly's got 15. And I think the the Monaco podium outlier, and that was Ocon's best weekend, maybe in his F1 career to date, outside of that big win in Hungary. Um, I think that's the big outlier that's that's made Ocon so far ahead in the standings. I do generally agree with the take. I think I would take Ocon over Gasly nine times out of ten. I think right now, I think Ocon's better. I think Gasly has had a handful of solid drives this year, and I think he's absolutely fitting fine as the second Alpine driver, but I still think it's Ocon's team. So for me personally, I'm going to say four on this one. I agree with it. I think Ocon's the better driver. I don't think it's a particularly hot take, to be honest. And that's not a, a, that's not a jab at you, Amber. I, I just think that in generally it's, I think, yeah, it's a, it's a take that I largely agree with that I, I think Ocon is just a better all-round driver than Gasly right now. What do you think, Hannah? Yeah, I, I'm going to give it a five just because, you know, I'll take it as mm. the hot take states as of right now, Esteban over Pierre, and I completely agree. So uh, it's a five for me. Okie dokie. Wow, we very strongly agree that Ocon's the better Alpine driver. Look, for Gasly, he's fine. and I, 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 he, he just needs to put together a full weekend like Ocon has done, and I think he'll have a top five of his own somewhere along the line because I don't think Alpine's a bad car. I think they've got a good team, and I think they're moving in the right direction. I just feel like Gasly's just a bit, a bit sloppy here and there and made some little errors that I think have hampered an otherwise okay start to his time at Alpine. So... Uh, 
not being quite as good as Ocon is no terrible feat, in, in, in my opinion, at least, especially when their team seems to be locked into fifth right now. They're kind of in no man's land in F1 terms yeah. at the moment. It's kind of a weird place for the Alpine team um, at the moment. Ah, we have a Lance Stroll take. I had a feeling this might roll up in here somewhere after mm. Canada. Uh, <laughs> Precise Path on Twitter says, if Lance Stroll does not get a podium in 2024, he will be let go, even if he does get a podium this year. Mm. Now, I wonder if a certain WTF1 member of staff maybe wrote something about this this week. <laughs> Any guesses? Maybe. Could, could it have been you, Dre? Might have done. <laughs> Check out the website. I may have, may or may not have written a piece called uh, Lance Stroll is Aston Martin's Biggest Weakness. If you could kind of see the tone of where this is going. Um, and yeah, I may or may not have written the Lance Stroll video that's up on YouTube talking about it. That's up on there right now. YouTube.com forward slash WTF1. Do Official. Do check it out. But uh I want to get your perspective on this, Hannah, first, because if people are hardcore fans of us, then they've probably already read what I've had to say on it. So <laughs> probably best you go first on this one. Well, it's I find it really hard to imagine a team where Lawrence is in charge and Lance isn't in the seat. Right. Um, I think if that does happen, I mean, I don't know the family dynamic, of course, but can you imagine firing your own son? It must be difficult. Um, it is true to say, though, if Alonso had a teammate that was on par or closer to him, Aston Martin would be in second in the championship now and possibly at the end of the season as well, depending on how well Mercedes do. Um, another thing to consider, I guess, is we have seen Lance improve each season that he's been in the sport. In my opinion, I feel like he's got slightly better as the year goes on. So if he continues like this, I'm not saying he could challenge Alonso, but definitely close the gap. So whether or not he gets a podium in 2024 or 2023 this season I or not, I don't think he will stay at Aston as long as Lawrence is still around. Wait, it, did that make sense or was that? That, that makes sense. <laughs> it, 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 I, and I think that's a fair assumption. I, I can't blame anybody. I didn't get a lot of tweets of people, people saying this. Like, There's no way Lawrence would move on from his own son. I mm. wrote about this on the website and it was my post I, I have a post um race column that goes up every monday now um on the site so uh thanks charlie for giving me the keys on that one much appreciated <laughs> shout out to her um i was quite strong in my opinions regarding lance stroll on this um it's hard to ignore the elephant in the room he's 80 points behind fernando alonso through eight rounds that is startling Alonso is only nine points off Sergio Perez. Lance Stroll's only eight points ahead of the aforementioned Esteban Ocon, who we talked about a minute ago. That's the difference in perspective. And I would be, I'm adamant that Aston Martin would be second in the championship right now if Stroll was having even an average season, let mm. alone a bad one. Because, I mean, Alonso beat Hamilton straight up, head to head. In, in in Canada. There was no shenanigans. There was no outside influences. It was a straight dog fight between Alonso and Lewis. And Alonso won that fight with with their new upgrades they brought to that weekend. Um that's Alonso's level. He is challenging one of the best drivers in the world in a in a car that is the factory version of them being customers. 
Lance Stroll limped home in ninth and only got that ninth because of one, Lando Norris's very weird unsportsmanlike conduct penalty <laughs> and the drag race he had over the line with Valtteri Bottas, getting revenge for 2017, I saw there. Well, n- nice work, Lance. Um, kept that one in the back pocket for six years, didn't you? Um, but it's tough because... Yeah, it's a fair assumption that Lawrence would probably never get rid of his own son. I would never criticize anybody that had that take or that perspective. It's a fair one to have. My logic is Aston Martin have poured tens, if not hundreds of millions of pounds into this team in recent times. They splashed out big money on Sebastian Vettel. I have no doubt they've splashed out big money on Fernando Alonso. They are renovating their entire team base at the Silverstone um, base right now. They've thrown money at rebuilding the whole thing. They're trying to expand to a 1,000-person team. That's money. That is big infrastructure money. That is tens of millions of pounds. We are not evaluating Aston Martin as a plucky midfield underdog anymore. This is a serious brand who are trying to make a serious run at at challenging Red Bull. You can't do that with Lance Stroll as your second driver. I don't believe he's good enough to be able to prop a team up. George, like, what Stroll is doing is he's letting... Mercedes and Ferrari take points off them by him being more 7th, 8th, ninth as opposed to 4th and 5th. If he was in that 4th, 5th, 6th area, I wouldn't have a problem with Lance Stroll not being as competitive as Alonso. That's fine. If you're finishing right behind him, if you're close behind on track, fine. Not a problem if you're not quite as good as Fernando, which, to be fair, is probably an unfair level of expectation in the first place because he's Fernando Alonso. However... If Aston Martin want to be contenders, they can't do it with Lance Stroll in the second seat. I'm sorry. It's just not going to work. Like, you'd have to have a car on Red Bull's level to be able to get away with doing that. And Aston Martin is not there yet. They might do one day, but Stroll is dragging that team down. And if you're Lawrence, you've got to weigh up. Do you want your team to be successful as it can be? Or do you want to facilitate your son's career? You're going to have to make a choice. Because I, at this point, I don't think you can do both. So, and you got to remember, Aston Martin have a board of directors. If they sit there, look at the scoreboard and say, Lawrence, you need to move your son. They can move his son. Otherwise, face a vote of no confidence. That's how most boards work. So... I wouldn't rule out that possibility either, even if Lawrence is majority owner of the team. That's my perspective. Do I think he'll be let go? Mm, It's hard. Does Lawrence want to win or does he want to be the best dad he can be? I don't know. I guess Um, as well, like facilitating his son's career, it's... (laughs) Is Lance ever going to be in a position where he can fight for a championship? Or is he always going to stay in this kind of second driver midfield kind of position? Because if so, his career is not really going to excel anyway. So maybe not that Lawrence would be doing him a favor, but if he was to focus on the team and let Lance go, 
He could move on to other things. He could try a different category. It wouldn't be the end of the world if Lance wasn't in that seat, you know? It's true, but does his dad share that perspective? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a really good point. <laughs> that's the literal million. Because I think what you're saying is absolutely right. I don't think Stroll is... I, th- I think this is it for Stroll. This is the best car he's ever had in his F1 career. It's this, For me, it's the second best car in Formula 1. He should be in the top five on a regular basis. He's had one top five all year. And that was in Australia. And that was off that janky restart at the end. He's not been in the top five at any other point in this season. This was after he had a he'd earned a good amount of goodwill after a, after coming back from injury to race in Bahrain with two broken wrists and a and a broken toe. Like he he had some goodwill going into this season, and it's all just evaporated already. And uh, I think Lawrence is a shrewd businessman more than he is a. I don't want to say more than he's a loving father because that's quite a damning <laughs> indictment. Quite a strong <laughs> statement. Um, but for his own position amongst Aston Martin and what he does for that team, at a certain point, he has to consider that if he wants to move this team forward, he has to he has to be prepared to let go of. Uh, 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 oh, I can't talk. Has to be prepared to let go of Lance. That's my opinion. So I would say. I'm going to say four. Mm, interesting. Okay. I wouldn't normally go as high as four. Like, if you're the sort of person that's listening to the show and you say one or two, I do not blame you. I completely <laughs> yeah. understand the whole idea that Lawrence will not let his son go no matter what. That is a completely valid perspective. I think Lawrence is colder than that, and I think he wants to win a championship. And at some point, he has to look in the mirror and realize it's not going to come through Lance. That's my perspective. What do you yeah, what do you reckon? I think for for both of those reasons, I have to give it a three. A three is so boring, but I just feel like sure. if Aston, like you said, if Aston Martin want to excel, they probably need to look at having a second driver that is going to be on par or just slightly behind Alonso, because sure. Alonso's on fire right now. But I just don't see, I mean, like I said right at the start, I just don't see Lance not being in the team if Lawrence is around and for that I have to give it a three because I see both sides so clearly that's fair <laughs> the, the, there is absolutely an argument you can make it either way I've actually had emails in the past saying don't use the number three if you can avoid it because it's a cop out oh. number oh no um, I feel even I... worse about it now <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I, I had to sway one way I will probably sway towards a four okay okay interesting but if i was forced to sway (laughs) the the, the free is there for a reason sometimes it is necessary because i i think you could easily go either way on a take like this if it depends on how cold and how ruthless you think lawrence stroll is and whether you think lance stroll will get to a point where he's so bad that the team have to consider moving him I'm not sure at that point yet, but I think we're close, is what mm. I would say, because there is no good reason for Lance to be 80 points behind Fernando through eight rounds. That's just not on for a team of that quality. In the midfield, you can get away with having a weaker second driver. At the highest level, which is what Aston Martin are at now, can't get away with that. You will be punished. And 
like Mercedes are ahead of them in the constructors almost purely because they have a more consistent driver lineup. George Russell is just a far better. I don't even want to really call him a number two at Mercedes because I think he's been very close to Lewis for the majority of his time there. The scoreboard's been a bit harsh after Canada, but you know, you get the gist. I think Mercedes having a much more consistent lineup. We talked about it on last week's show about having Mercs having a more consistent Mm. lineup. Even Ferrari, I would argue, with Leclerc and Sainz have got a more consistent lineup than than Alonso and Stroll. It's, it's nowhere near as lopsided. You forget, Sainz is still ahead of Leclerc in the championship this year by, by 14 points. So, you know, perspective is, is important in all of these things. Also, we haven't even considered the fact that Lance, we've talked about Lawrence and, you know, how he is as a father and, you know, what that dynamic is like. But Lance might even, obviously you'd like to be an F1, but he might step down himself. If he sees the situation that his father is in, he might understand what he needs to do to help his dad's team in a way and step down or maybe like try something else in motorsport. I don't know. Obviously, as an F1 driver or like as a racing driver in general, F1 is always the dream and he is in that. And would he want to let that go? Probably not. But the other way around, that dynamic is also really interesting because he probably understands the difficulty that he is in. Absolutely. Very, very mixed perspective. Would love to hear your opinions on that. Feel free to send them in to me on Twitter, Dre underscore WTF1. I'd love to hear it. We'll get back to the show in a moment, but first a quick word about our partners at MoneyGram. We live in a world that's more digital than ever, with nearly every want or need just to tap away. And so many of our favourite digital services seamlessly meet the physical world when they're delivered to your front door. But until now, that hasn't been true for crypto. Digital currencies have been tied up online, with no easy way to bring them into the real world. That's why we're so excited to share that you can now cash in and out of select digital wallets and participate in MoneyGram locations without a bank, credit card or debit card. Convert your digital currency to cash and back again using the only digital wallets with real cash access activated by MoneyGram. Learn more at MoneyGram.com slash wallets. That's MoneyGram.com slash That's S-T-E-L-L-A-R wallets. Next up, we have we have Mega versus Primus on Twitter who says putting a rookie in a top car is better than putting someone who has been at a previous team. With a rookie, the team can build around that driver for the future and help them in high pressure situations. So Ooh. we're talking team management here. So is it better to go with sticking a rookie in, throwing him in the deep end, and and building around them or? or shall we say pick on veterans who are trying to go from one team to the other um tricky one this yeah it's hard it's i feel like like most of these hot picks you can go both ways but Mm. i agree in some ways i think that bringing a rookie in can be really valuable for a team i mean we always think of lando but lando for example that mclaren is built around him and he drives that car incredibly well um but on the other hand bringing someone in who has already been in F1 at a different team is also valuable because they have the F1 experience already in them. And a lot of rookies have like a one or two year period where they're still getting to grips with the car and not only the car, but also F1 in general, like how you fit into 
um, the calendar, like how busy it is, how fit you have to be. And, you know, being so drained, I'm sure after year one is they must feel awful. But someone who's already been in that sport doesn't need to go through that first couple of years to get used to it. They're just straight in. And I know the car would be different, but everything around F1 that's not to do with the car, they'd already have experience. So long term, I can see why a rookie might be better. Um, but you can go both ways. It, it, I feel like normally in a team, you have someone with experience and someone who's young and up and coming. So it just depends from team to team, I suppose. I think it absolutely does vary from team to team. I remember, I'll give you a great example. If if anyone's ever read the Players' Tribune website, where a bunch of elite athletes often talk about their own stories, Alex Albon did a fascinating piece there. I think it was earlier this year, talking about his experience at Red Bull and talking about how he went to Red Bull, which by this point was generally Max Verstappen's team, and he talked about how the 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 nose of the car had was there was so much front wing on the car that it will you see i think he compared it to playing call of duty with the highest sensitivity which of it was a fantastic metaphor to describe it because i know there's a, there's a load of cod players out there that know exactly what he's talking about um because it was because max has been so good and because he's had cars built to cater his driving style because why wouldn't you he's the best driver on the planet right now um for a second guy that comes into that scenario it's going to be hard to adapt to that. Either you've got to adapt your driving style or you're going to struggle. We're seeing that with Sergio Perez right now. Uh, you, you brought up a great example with Lando Norris. And like I've, Norris has often complained about the McLaren's drivability, but he still produces, generally speaking, great results in the car. Because um, that's all he's ever known as an F1 driver. Mm-hmm. And look what happened when Daniel Ricciardo went there a couple of years ago. Ricciardo, who has won what an eight nine grand prix went over there and immediately struggled he could not get to grips with the mclaren he struggled to adapt to it i generally agree with this take i think sometimes throwing a rookie in in a top team where they don't know any better as they adapt to the sport because it's all they've ever known actually i think works better i think mclaren is a walking case study in that because ricardo has struggled at mclaren when he struggled he was at mclaren Oscar Piastri has come in and I think has generally driven really well. He's, I think he's pretty close to Lando Norris across, across the season so far. And again, Piastri, not only was he a fantastic junior talent, he won in Formula Regional level all the way up to through Formula 2. He was a an S-tier prospect. But that's all he's ever known about an F1 car, really, uh, at that level. And I think that's what's made him good when he's when he's walked into this seat and cracked on um you know and there's a bunch of other examples lewis hamilton started his career at mclaren he was matching fernando alonso who again came over from at the time it was renault and they were both very evenly matched right away and this is the fact despite the fact alonso was already a two-time world champion so i think sometimes you know the phrase better the devil you know than the devil you don't sometimes it's the other way around and i think think in f1 it is the other way around so i actually agree with this take i'm going to say four i think a lot of the time you're better off molding someone new and fresh into a car that works for you is probably a little bit better than 
taking a veteran who's been in a few teams already because sometimes a lot of drivers struggle with that versatility because some of these cars drive very very differently not they're not all going to be user friendly like Red Bull is a walking example of that. Look at the murderous row of drivers they've gone through in the last few <laughs> years with Albon and Gasly. And Checo is now starting to struggle this year by comparison. You know, they've struggled to have anyone that can replicate what Max was doing. And ironically, Ricardo was probably the only one who was even close. So for me, I'm going to say four. How about you, Anna? Yeah, I'm going to go with the four as well. I, I do agree. I think. If you, I mean, there's lots of different factors that we went over, but if you actually look at what has happened and and how things work, it does tend to be that a rookie coming in is better for that team. And you could also think about it in a different way in terms of like the driver's point of view, being a rookie coming into a team and staying there for a long time and then going to a different team can be negative because it's so different. But Mm. from the team's point of view, they don't mind about where you go after they've been at that team it's like you can (laughs) be with us for a while be really great go off to another team and be bad we don't mind it's not for us anymore but for the team's point of view i i get that a rookie can be better so a four this one's going to be much more of a subjective take take number four from uh, Zedis Live, again, apologies for the pronunciation if I got that wrong. Uh, Zedis Live says, this has been one of the most boring seasons ever. Hmm. <laughs> That's straight, a strong take. Straight to the point. This season has been one of the most boring seasons ever. And again, this is one of these really deeply subjective takes. Um, it's, it's purely an entertainment value. How do you feel about 2023 so far? Hannah? I'm going to be your agony uncle for the next five minutes. Okay. So tell me how you feel about 2023. Well, you know what? I actually disagree with this take. Okay. I think I, I get where it's coming from. Obviously, Max Wing, you know, I understand. I feel like there's been a lot of talk online about how oh, it's such a boring season, but I feel like this season I'm looking forward to the races more than I was last year. I mean, out of the years I've been watching F1, 2021 was the most thrilling um, because of obvious reasons, the title fight being one of them. Um, But there have been a few facts this season that I find really interesting. Like, for example, Aston Martin doing unexpectedly really well and will Alonso get his 33rd win or even more than that? Will Perez be able to beat his teammate? Will Max have a record-breaking season? The fight between Mercedes, Ferrari, and Aston is really interesting. So each race I go into, I'm kind of blocking out the winner because we all know (laughs) who that's going to be. And then focusing on the things I just listed. And actually, if you kind of set your expectations low, you can really enjoy the races. And each race I'm going into, I'm getting really excited about the things that aren't necessarily just the winner. So I get where this hot take is coming from, but for me, I've actually really enjoyed and this season and I, I don't think it's been too boring. I think um, I tend to be the type of person to be overly positive about everything and just say, nothing oh, wrong with that. We could get a new winner. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And each, I feel like I used to be the type of person every single race is like, Landed or it's win. Come on, we can do it. Um, or like whoever it may be. Um, I've seen your race predictions. When are you not going to put Lando <laughs> Norris in the top five? What is wrong with you? I No, well, to be fair, he's rarely in the top five, but when it's raining, he's in my top five. I and see. if he has a good quality, he's in my top five. But um, 
yeah, I overly positive, but now I feel like set my expectations low and I'm always impressed with the race. But you seem like you might disagree with me. So take it away. Let, let me just say on the record, first and foremost, there is nothing wrong with Hannah's overly positive perspective. <laughs> I am delighted that she walks into every weekend thinking this could be a great race and hey, we might get an upset winner. <laughs> you know, there is nothing wrong with this. Let me just say, though, I am not wired this way. <laughs> <laughs> That's Look, also fine. <laughs> I'm a Jamaican at heart. I'm a huge Test cricket fan. And I, I use Test cricket as an analogy here, right? Test cricket, generally speaking, is boring. And as a cricket fan, I'll be the first person to tell you this. I'm recording this on Wednesday the 21st, the day after day five of the first Ashes test. And if you were following that, that was an incredible finish and how it went down to the wire and how it was. It was so nervous and so tense. That's kind of like watching Formula One. You wait a long time to come around and you wait for the good one to roll up. Because for me, most of the time, F1 is an inherently sometimes quite boring sport because it's a mechanical-based sport first. The results generally don't have too much variance. And you wait for the big outlier, whether it be rain, whether it be technical DNFs, whether it be a collision on track or something along those lines that makes a race more interesting. You wait for those to roll up. So I agree with Hannah in the perspective of having lower expectations is probably a healthier way of going about it because most races are 70 to 80% the same. This season... Yeah, it's not been a it's not been a classic. I'm not going to pretend like it is. Canada was, was I thought was actually quite a decent race, all things considered. Uh, I thought we had some good fighting up and down the midfield. Albon seventh was was a fascinating fight. We had some late drama right at the end. Um, you know, Hamilton versus Alonso was was interesting seeing them fight each other for second. I thought we generally had a good Grand Prix, like. Without major shenanigans, that's about as good as an F1 race gets, especially with a dominant car in there. I think if this all boils down to what you want as a fan, and uh, if like I think a lot of people, I'll give you an example. 2021 was an all-time classic, and I saw Cal Freezy on Twitter talk about how 21 is, and it was, was so good with Max V. Lewis, and the momentum's kind of gone away from that because a lot of people jumped on the wagon when we had a thrilling season. That was the outlier. Like, normally seasons don't go to the wire like that. And a hot take of my own, 2022, I think, had better racing than 2021, even wow. though we didn't get a title fight all the way through. But, but I think because we didn't get a title fight in the second half of the season when Red Bull won nine out of the last ten, I think a lot of people just lost interest because I think Red Bull just obviously running the field over by the end of the season just killed a lot of interest and hype. I actually thought the racing was pretty good in 2022. But again, it all boils down to what you want as a fan, what your perspective is, and whether you get bored with dominance. Some people are fine with it. Some people are not. That's It's a very subjective perspective. So with that in mind, I'm going to say... I'm going to say two. And the reason I'm going to say two is because this is normal for an F1 season for me most of the time. I I don't think it's that... Okay, this Red Bull is a very dominant team, more than the average F1 team that dominates. This is 
this is a unique combination of a busted car and a busted driver. And if, the question is when Max wins the title rather than if he wins the title and how many wins would he rack up between now and the end of the year? He's already won six out of eight. He's not finished anything in this sport this year lower than third. And that was the Baku sprint. And he had a hole in his side pod when that happened. <laughs> yeah. That's how dominant Max has been. So I acknowledge that this is an outlier, even by dominant level standards. But I, I think this is much closer to the norm of an F1 season for me to say this is one of the most boring seasons ever. I don't agree with that because I've sat through many a boring season just like this one, uh, or at least very similar. So I'm going to say two on this. Well, how about you, Hannah? Yeah, I know there's people out there that would agree with this take, and that's absolutely fine. But for me, it's a one just because I've really enjoyed this season so far. Nice and simple one for me. <laughs> Really? That yeah. like th- that that strong a perspective. Yeah. <laughs> Don't Hannah, hate you, me, please. <laughs> Hannah, you're a wonderful optimist. Um, <laughs> and and like you you are going to bring a lot of joy to a lot of people by just being so optimistic. And I love I really that hope so. <laughs> I love that for you. Like, don't ever change, please. No matter how much this sport may drag you down. (laughs) (laughs) Noted, I won't. I won't. Pray for that Charles Leclerc win. You never know. It might just happen. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to do an out there prediction right now. We're going to have one new race winner this year. Okay. Before we move on real quick, who do you think it will be? Oh, on the spot now. um, I think it will be... Stroll, maybe? As soon as you said that, I was—I did have Stroll in my mind. I think if he, we've just did a whole hot take about how <laughs> Stroll, you know, might be leaving. But I think because it, like, who, who, who's better that hasn't got a win yet? No, Max exactly. has got a win. Perez has got a win. Alonso has both Merck's drivers, both Ferrari drivers. Like Stroll yeah. and Stroll and Gasly are probably the two best drivers on the board that haven't won yet. Also, Gasly's even won. Gasly's won. I forgot, yeah. about, I forgot about Monster 2020. Even yeah. Gasly's won a Grand Prix. It's Lando Norris, probably. Yeah, between I was between Stroll and Norris. Uh, between you know who's gonna if if anyone wants to get a a win who hasn't before, it would be between those two. I'm gonna say Stroll just because I think. Stuff can mix up at the front. People can get penalties. Things can happen. And if he's in the right place at the right time, he could definitely, definitely get that, I think. Send all strongly worded messages to Hannah WTF <laughs> on Instagram. Yeah, feel um, free to DM me, but who knows? If if you disagree with me, I just won't reply. <laughs> bold, bold. Um, but so, yeah, I just want to say, I take no responsibility for this take. This was all her. Um, just, just putting that one out there. Last take of the episode comes from Marcin Zygmunt, who says, at least one race in the season should be a testing race in which we try new ideas to potentially implement in the next season. Things like all three compounds must be used, points for top 15. It's risky to decide on something without trying it out first. Ooh. Do you want to take this one away? I'll take this one. Um, I think we should just have more testing in general. And like, we only get like this year was a, was in particular, we only got the one testing weekend for the whole, for the whole preseason that normally we get two. There was only one this year. And like, I don't think that's enough. And I, I generally, uh, 
I like the idea of experimentation, but not mid-season. I thought it was a bit silly that they changed the sprint format, for example, in Baku on basically a week's notice that when, when it was finalized going in the oh by the way we're having the sprint shootout now rather than having this sprint race on a saturday and uh, this extra qualifying session instead of having a park firm made fp2 it was messy and i would like to see look people are excited to watch testing on tv there is an audience out there that would watch a testing race or a non-championship experimental round to see what happens i think there would be genuine interest in that whether it be like you say having to make all three tire compounds mandatory i'd be all for that by the way having guaranteed two stop races i think that would be a lot more interesting than a lot of these generic boring one stoppers um for example or running points down to 15th like moto gp does for example I'd be all for that. And I would actually, as a hardcore fan, I would happily watch out of curiosity to see what they would experiment and see what they would try. So I'd be okay with a non-championship round. I know the sport probably wouldn't do it because of the amount of money involved, um, especially in the cost cap era. Teams are not going to be wanting to spend money where they don't have to. Um, And it promotes good habits when it comes to saving money. But I would certainly like to see it. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing the non-championship round to try things out. So for me, I'm all for it. How about you, Hannah? Yeah, I I like this take. It it does make some sense. I guess in a way, how F1 have done it in the past is, you know, in 2021, giving three races the, you know, sprint race uh, and testing it out that way. But having one race where you can try all of these new ideas, I feel like it could be really cool. But <laughs> if you think about it from everyone actually at the track working whether that's the drivers mechanics strategy, like anyone that weekend where they're testing all of these new things imagine how complicated that would be for them like sure. all of these new timings these new rules that they have to follow it would be i feel like things could go wrong very easily so if they were to do it I feel like it would have to count less towards the championship than the other races. Um, but then you could also argue everyone's in the same boat, so it wouldn't matter. Um, I, I like your idea of having uh, a testing race kind of situation. Where yeah, a non-championship round where there's no points count. involved. Yeah, you definitely, if you were to do this, you could not do it in the second half of the season. Summer break is pushing it. It would have to be at the beginning. Sure. Um, so I do like your idea about like a testing race. I think that that could work. But yeah, having it as part of the championship, I just think is too risky. And I feel like if anything happens during that, it could just be so controversial because you could argue, you know, oh, it doesn't count because of this. Or, you know, there's so many different rules that would go into it. But uh, I like the idea. I think it would be cool if it did happen. But realistically, I don't think it would. Yeah, it can be messy. I mean, look at last season. They they brought in that porpoising directive after the summer break, and it completely changed the state of the field. Red Bull ran the field over. Ferrari went from genuinely competitive against them to being midfield by the time it was all said and done. Mercs came back into play, and then Mercs complained about said rule later on because it meant they couldn't run their car as low as it used to. It was messy. Mm -hmm. I don't like regulation changes mid-season unless it's an emergency. And Okay, maybe you could argue that Baku, it was after Hamilton could barely get out of his car after all the damage he was done. But that's partly on his team's responsibility for running his car solo, not necessarily the rules itself, because other cars were fine with it. So 
You know, yeah. you can debate amongst yourselves on that one. Me personally, I don't like mid-season regulation changes. I don't like these experimental sort of rule tweaks in-house mid-season. I like facilitate more time in your calendar to, to, to test this out and to pull it off if that's the case. And like I said, fans, I think would watch it. If we, if I know people that are watching testing for all three days, like <laughs> there is no reason why we couldn't do a non-championship round you know, charge fans, you know, cheap ticket prices to come down and watch. People fly out for testing. I swear, back in the days when it was at Catalonia, people were flying out for that because of the access that they would that they would often get with people. Like, hell yeah. Like, pull it off. I, I'm I'm saying five. I'm all for this, <laughs> me personally. You've How convinced me. Yeah, I, I think I'll give it a four. Or do I give it a five so it goes into the uh, special vault? No, I, I have to be true. I'll give it a four. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I think this could be really cool. Uh, it, I suppose if you take it as the hot take says, I don't agree with exactly how that would work. Like, actually, let me read it again. It should be a testing race of which, yeah, no, 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 100%, four. Yeah, I agree. Um <laughs> As long as it doesn't count towards the championship, I'm all for it. I'm all for it as well. And that's a, a positive, optimistic outlook to end this podcast. You see, Hannah has brought some radiance and some joy to the show. Well, <laughs> to be fair, she always does, but that's besides Aww, the point. I try, uh, I try. <laughs> I try. Thank you very much for sending in your takes as ever to the wonderful WTF1 audience. Again, keep sending them in. Look out for the tweet on Twitter on Mondays normally, or you can email us as well. Send them in that way. I promise we'll get yours in next week. Um, but until next time, I've been Dre Harrison. She's been Hannah Atkinson, happy birthday again. Thank you. uh, And uh, until next time, thank you very much for listening. Sayonara. Bye.